Welcome to Be a Refuge, a podcast from the Refuge community. Join your hosts, Kathy Escobar, and me, Joe Douglas, as we share stories and interview friends about the wild and wonderful community life that is the Refuge. We're always learning, unlearning, dreaming, failing, and practicing together. Pull up a chair and grab a coffee. We're glad you're here. There's always room at the table. Well, here we are, Be a Refuge, episode two. Uh, We're going to be talking about the refuge story today. And there's, I'm sure, tidbits and details and whole chunks that we're not going to get to because we only have 30 minutes. It'd be like, how old is the refuge, Kathy? We're 16 and a half. 16 and a half. So it'd be like, hey, tell me about your 16 and a half year old in 30 minutes and all of the wonderful, intricate <laughs> details of their life. Not going to happen, but highlights, oh. highlights and how they got to be who they are today. We can tell tidbits. So um, we'll start at the beginning. I am curious, like, what was the dream from the beginning of the refuge? I know it was kind of birthed out of some pain and mess and love to hear a bit about that. Yeah, so just in its simplest form, I mean, I worked at a big church, um, and it was a mega church that had grown a lot and had a lot of growing pains, had a significant pastor transition, founding pastor transition. I worked in recovery there. I was the associate care pastor for a year, and then I was the adult ministry pastor. The church was about 4,000 people. Um, and then in the last six months that I was there, a friend, uh, someone I didn't know became a really good friend, came on staff as a teaching pastor. And there was just a huge thing about power in that system. And they ended up hiring, uh, we wanted to do shared leadership there and, um, they hired a pastor to really, really, um, keep perpetuating a hierarchical model. And it just was clear that it was not going to work for us to stay there. And so um, we both exited kind of outwardly in a nice way and inwardly in a horrible way. Okay. Super hurt, super betrayed. It was really painful, Um, but it did birth the dream. And so Carl Wheeler is a huge part. He was the teaching pastor and then the co-pastor at the refuge, the one that said, let's do this dream, Kathy, and let's co-pastor together. And as a female in evangelical systems, I mean, I didn't even know what a co-pastor was. And so we started that way in trying to say, what could the dream be? And Carl was a dreamer. I was always a dreamer. I was able to do some of the things that I love to do in that big church related to healing community and in the guts of kind of real life and vulnerability and creating healing spaces. I was doing that long before I was on that church staff, just in my own way, pushing against fake um, in churches and trying to have it be like our real stories um, and healing community that way. And so we were a really good team, Um, but it was also really weird because we only knew one way of doing it. Um, And that was in, you know, more traditional structures and kind of bumping up against them. And then you kind of have a blank slate um, to create what you want to create. And so we did that with a team. We had a little small group of people who were actually at our big community together. I did a lot of things in recovery ministry. And so a lot of people came that were kind of brought that ethos. And then Carl knew some people um, that had dreams. And then we were kind of a little team that literally left 
big church kind of crawling on our knees, but smiling a little bit on the outside. So people really didn't know. And then starting this thing two months later, less than two months later. So, um, which is, it's just a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do that for future reference. Don't do that at home. Have some space to heal. <laughs> yes. And so um, we really did uh, just try and kind of find something that would work for us, honestly. And, um, and a core part was always a place for spiritual doubters, a place for people who were healing and struggling with making it through the day. Um, in recovery, uh, 12 step ethos, and then shared leadership and egalitarianism where people from all places, that wasn't just about gender, but also across socioeconomic. So different people could lead things and participate in things um, without kind of bumping up against a, a hierarchical structure. That's how we started. I mean, we had little dream meetings and people came and kind of said their dreams for church. That's awesome. Um, and it sounds so neat and tidy and I'm sure it wasn't messy at all. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> There's oh, yeah. so much mess. Big, hot, freaking mess. <laughs> and super fun too, you know, because but. it was kind of exciting to, to think about what could be. Yeah. So you left big church and went to like, you were in a church building first and you kind of had this nomadic first, what, how many years of just kind of bumping around to different places, right? Two years. And okay. so embedded in the ethos culture or the ethos of the refuge and the culture was we didn't want people to come and be part for the worship, the teaching or the kids, which what's the point? <laughs> no, just joking. <laughs> super countercultural. Um, and we met with different people, you know, they knew we were starting something and we really did form as a church. So that's super important. Like that is part of how we did it. And so uh, we met with different people and they would tell us their strategies, you know, just get the, you know, one person said, get this, your studs, find your studs. Like how offensive that is now, you know, keep listening to that, get mm. them along you and like tell them to cut their sails to old things and commit to this. And honestly, from the very beginning, we were like, no, mm. we're not going to do that because yeah. we know what that means for our friends who actually are feeling a part of this from the beginning that really don't fit into that category of um, kind of put together typical leaders in a lot of um, faith structures. And we always had the ragtag misfit. We were always like the land of misfit toys, island of misfit toys from Rudolph. You know, that was always the refuge. And, and that came from people um, like me who was trying to find my way and it came from really everybody who was there like the, everyone came with the idea of trying to be part of something that um felt more communal so we were in a church we used a church's space and we were there on sunday nights for some of our dreaming and some of our gatherings uh, we got kicked out of the air because of um kind of being rabble rousers and leaving our other church in a hard way so I was friends with them, but it was sad and kind of painful, you know, it was like another pain. Yeah. Um, then we found some wedding event space. We had two different spaces and we were gathering mainly on Sunday nights because weddings aren't on Sunday nights. Yes. And we really did some really creative things from the beginning. You know, we always tried to, to do mixed up ways that people engaged around tables and the kids were always involved in 
We always tried to make the space really pretty, um, but it did really involve a lot of work. And um, in terms of setup and pulling it off um, together, we were team led, everybody pitched in, everybody tried to create these spaces and we actually never had a budget. We didn't have money, nobody got paid. um, And then we had to pay our rent. And so we had to, you know, we had to find ways to pay for just once a week in some of these spaces. But we also did a lot of little special events and different things that are still part of the refuge community, like Lake Day came from 2006, from the very beginning. We did a trunk or treat thing inside our very first year in the space that we were using. Um, We did um, uh, eating, like feasts. And we would have like dinner be part of our night, not all the time then, but it was like part of trying to like really join in around tables. So being in kind of these wedding venue spaces probably cultivated a lot of like imagination for like what, what could be possible when we had a flexible space? Like we could use tables and sit around in circles rather than in lines and Totally. Yeah. And yeah, the, because the spaces were really like big open rooms. Mm. Um, and then we did, we did beauty night. Like we started our very first art night at one of them because it was like perfect space for that kind of an event. You know, it had a place to put food and it had a garden outside that people could walk around in. And, um, you know, all of those places really were interesting in their own way, but They were also really hard because we had to do so much setup (laughs) and tear down and cleaning. And so, you know, that part, while it was fun, it was also really hard. Yes. Well, yeah. And sharing the space with other people and coming in and it not maybe being the way you were hoping. (laughs) I cleaned so many dirty bathrooms in that second space. It was gross. That's good thing you're not cleaning bathrooms still, huh? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's the joke of the story. I just cleaned the refuge bathroom the other day. And I did say, oh my gosh, I've been cleaning bathrooms for 16 years. <laughs> <laughs> like being a parent of a 16 year old. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, that's awesome. Um, so you had this kind of bebop in the church, then two different wedding event centers, and then I came to the refuge for the first time. I kind of, as a as a visitor and kind of encountering the community at this next space that you were at called the Grange. And um, and then that's in Broomfield, right? It's in Broomfield. Yeah, the Broomfield Grange. And I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that space, but I can just tell you the physical aspects of the space is that it is this old Grange Hall that they... Uh, redid I guess after they moved in because I came about three years into you being there or four years I think but um it's across some railroad tracks in this dark street with a silo and like no lights and, and a gravel parking lot so when I first the first event I came to I like drove in and I was like am I gonna get murdered am I in the right place <laughs> but then walking in and like this bright room with like friendly people and I I think the best description is like I just remember it was beautiful and awkward which is pretty much the description of most everything we do and that was my first encounter with a refuge event <laughs> and that totally is it was always that way even before then even when we had prettier spaces like everything <laughs> was 
kind of awkward. And the Grange was really a gift to us. We were in that space for five years and it was closed. And we had some uh, really persistent people that just wanted to see if we could make it happen because that building was only getting used by a little teeny 15 member church once a week for two hours. And the rest of the time, it really was completely closed. And so um, we negotiated opening it and using it part-time um, for our weekend gathering. We started a community garden there. And it really was really a special season because we kind of had a space. Hmm. It wasn't ours because in our ethos was actually, we were anti-building. <laughs> and because we wanted, you know, we didn't want worship kids or teaching be, be a draw for people. Yeah. And then we wanted a people like our primary thing would be in community together and that community can happen in all these different ways and places that have nothing to do with the facility. But yeah. we were really happy actually to have a gathering space that had a lot of flexibility and we um, chopped up, there were benches, we chopped them up and made them smaller and we finished them, we painted it, we made it pretty and we used it um, really for our weekend gathering, which moved to Saturday nights. And that was when we started eating every week too. And we had somebody that said, you know, we should eat beforehand, the Johnson. Yeah. And um, yeah. they would go downstairs and make soup. We had I remember the soup. I yeah. remember going down those stairs, yeah. Soup and bread. We popped up a little table for personal care items. And, um, you know, there are basic needs that people had in our community because we always had um, people who were not financially resourced from the very beginning. Lots of single moms, lots of people um, navigating the realities of mental illness, physical disabilities, and then tons of people who were also just kind of all over in terms of faith, you know, for different reasons, just kind of found themselves on the out of systems, which was really similar to some of us in leadership. And so it just was this ragtag group always. And at the Grange, you know, what was fun about it is that we had a little bit of anchoring, even though we cleaned up every time we sort of had a quote unquote home. And that was a really sweet season. Um, and it was also really hard because one of the things that was really core that revealed itself really pretty early on, but certainly in during those five years was some of our theological differences that we always held, mm-hmm. um, but it w- they kind of came to the surface as we grew. Yeah. Because well, so many, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, that's why I first came to the refuge was um, I was part of the faith and justice conference and you were part of that too. And um, I'm trying to remember the timeline, but it was around then. And um, I remember hearing about these co-pastors who like one was evangelical and one was progressive and they co-pastored the same community. And I was like, I have to see this happening. (laughs) And so I, it was something that like, I thought was really amazing that, that there was this community that was trying to do this. And, and so that's kind of why I entered in. And then, yeah, as over time, things kind of shifted, but yeah, and we did do that. I mean, that became a thing. And that wasn't how we started. We probably started a little bit more, it felt like on the same page and um, and really looking back, it was different, but the, some of the same ethos and language and those things. And truly we just, like the whole community, this wasn't just us, like people just evolve. And, and then what do you do when you change? And then some of the things that were really, um, worth fighting for change, you know, for us personally. And so we really hit that in that season. 
and the community, we had a guidance group. We always had, we were always team led. Like this is a huge part. We didn't actually have really good um, structures for um, decision-making. And it kind of defaulted to those of us who kind of started it. We had a third co-pastor at that point who was there from the beginning, my friend, Mike, and, um, and he's still here. Um, and in that whole transition, you know, was basically just like growing up together and trying to navigate differences. And the refuge was really known for that. Mm. And being in the thick of it, I can say it was really beautiful on one level. And it's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. But in that season, what I loved is that um, some of that sense of you could go to the refuge for this Mm. to emerge in the wider community. We Mm. became more involved in Broomfield. You know, we had been in Arvada and then Westminster, then Broomfield. It's all North North Denver. People came from all over and still come from all over, but it kind of like gave us a little hub there. And we got involved um, with the wider Broomfield community through Marty Dormish, who is now our cafe founder and co-director. And, you know, there was just this thing of like a a little more sense of place. Mm. And, um, but so we had a building and it was hard to kind of keep there, but it wasn't our building. Like we just used the building and it cost us $400 a month. Oh, those were the days. (laughs) Yeah. Because when the wedding wedding event centers cost like four and five and $600 a week, maybe even more. And then in 2013, there was a big flood, which some y'all might probably remember uh, here. And that kind of forced a shift. Like you'd kind of been dreaming for a different space for a little bit, but that kind of forced a shift to a new, a new spot. Yeah. Cause really I'll say this all along. I looked at space and we explored different spaces and we just could never make the math work. It just never worked. And we were trying, and we also did not want to get in a situation where we were beholden to a lease. Um, but at, we were at a place where, I mean, we were, people couldn't even go eat because there were stairs and it, it, we had too many kids in a dark, gross basement in the Grange. And it just wasn't right. We didn't quite know what to do about because we didn't have very much money. And so the floods actually forced us to make a decision. And so, and there were some things that the Grange leadership, some of that had changed. We started that and it kind of evolved. And so um, I went back to a building in Broomfield that I had seen for a long time it was an old Woolriches. I had driven there and parked there for two years before then dreaming about it, honestly. And this time it's like, there was a little bit like, we have to do something. And so, and we had explored some other churches, different things that just like nothing worked, nothing worked. And this, we walked in and we're like, this could work. And so we dreamt as a community, what could we pull off? And um, people walked through the facility. It was like needed a lot of work, but we could kind of see it because it had good bones and a great location, kind of on the other side of the track, still in Broomfield. We're in the, we're in the not great part of town, which is exactly who the refuge has always been. And so that was how we ended up discerning that if we could raise um, four, the rent there was a little over $4,000. So that was a 10 times increase. This is a big stretch for us philosophically and financially. 
Yeah. And we said, if we can raise all of it in 30 days, we we're going to do it and sign a one year lease renewable so we could get out of it at any time. And um, we had the little mission that should, which was this little fun golden book that we created that told our story of just really being this group of people where you could enter in no matter where you were and find kindred spirits. And that really was, and you could just do anything creative. Like we just did so many creative expressions of gatherings and special events and all those things that was always in us. And so the little mission that should kind of talked about that a little bit more. And that was when it was clear that we really were a mission. And um, and that language was hard for us on one level, but it was um, really positive for us because it helped people understand that we were a place that was meeting needs that some other communities weren't. Yeah. And that people could really find a place and resources and support and help for really hard times in their story. And um, we raised it in 30 days up to the wire. I mean, it was to the wire, but we did it. And then we did a community project to move into that space in 2013. And um, it was really fun season and really hard too, because we never really had that responsibility but it did begin to open up what could be in the community. We were already pretty established in some Broomfield connections, but it really, the dream that Marty had, he was on our um, guidance group and our ministry team. And he really had a dream of an open space where people could come and just hang out and get free lunch in the community. And so we started with open space in 2013, which is when we got our facility. And we always like, we had, we got donated cafe chairs. We had donated couches and it does feel like a refuge, like home, like a home when you walk in. And uh, it's a, it was, I think the whole refuge is like 7,000 square feet or something, at least the main area is. So it's like this big, like homey living room that you could set up tables and do different things with. you could leave things and not have to break it down. And the open space opened up and uh, evolved into the Refuge Cafe, which has really become a cornerstone effort now. And that kind of just was the beginning of what is it if we're really rooted in the neighborhood mm. and what does that yeah. look like? Yeah. And I've really seen that just take off since we've found that space of just, besides people walking in and saying, are you the, well, at first it was, are you the Habitat Restore? Because <laughs> that used to be above. Still get that. <laughs> <laughs> Still get that. And then now there's a thrift store above us. And so it's like, are you Joyful Journeys? Um, but folks who <laughs> stumble on us, who are trying to stumble on us, um, just being a part of the wider Broomfield community and people knowing what the refuge is in the sense of like, this is a safe place for all sorts of folks. And um, it's been a really a huge gift to have that space. And that's kind of when I entered into more official as official as we get at the refuge is Kathy invited me to come and help with music on Sundays. And so um, I, I came and started to do that and got involved in other ways over the years. Um, but yeah, it, it's a really, um, it's not about the building, but it is a really beautiful space that we're all grateful for and has so many different functions. <laughs> it really does. And, you know, I shifted. I mean, I, I'm all for um, if we didn't have that building, I'll say this. I say this all the time. If we didn't have the building, we would find a way at this stage. We would have found a way at that stage. 
Um, but I will say it would be so much harder. Mm -hmm. And that people, you know, our house, for example, we live in Arvada, Jose and I do. And, you know, we've always just had refuge things there. We have our house of refuge started in 2006 and it still meets. We just did our white elephant. New people come and it's been on Wednesday night during the school year since then. And so that is like a hub, but it's only accessible to certain people that can drive here that, you know, that have resources to get here that are interested in that kind of a thing. And when we got our facility, it just opened up this anchoring place. And then we did get more involved in the Broomfield community. And uh, over time, like as we had those open hours, more people sent folks our way. Um, and so that kept opening up possibility. We got some pastoral interns, they could staff things and, you know, learn and teach things. That's how we expanded into more nature healing kinds of things through one of our interns who actually interned with us uh, from DC and then moved back to DC and then moved back here to be part, you know, there are so many ways that people connected, but I think what was really significant for us is that we just kept kind of evolving in our leadership structures, in our conversations, who was there. And so the season in the Grange that had a lot of like holding the differences of progressive and evangelical in leadership and in a community together was like at the top of the list in so many ways of things that we did. When we moved into the building, things began to shift a little bit in becoming this mission center and where people could come and get practical needs met and spiritual needs met for if you were really had a big faith deconstruction and how to find their it, your way through. And in 2016, we hit our 10-year mark. Um, and that was big. And it, it caused us to do some really important wrestling together. And one of the founding pastors transitioned out during that season. You know, holding that space of differences was really hard. And especially um, when, you know, you kind of started one way and then evolved into something different. And uh, that transition forced us to form a team. We always did things in teams. And that was probably like in its purest sense, like whoever wants to be part of this dreaming for the next 10 years transition team can be part. You just have to commit to meetings and the long haul of making it through. We had 14 people come and do that. And that was a really big thing because we did a lot of listening and learning from the community. And that's where we really got, you were part of that. You were part of that, of just really seeing what it would be to distill down to what are our shared values instead of shared beliefs. And then what are some of our leadership structures that are more sustainable and more healthy? And you have a little bit clearer who makes what decisions and you have more people making those decisions instead of just a couple. When I got to come in at the end of that process and <laughs> the fun part, <laughs> y'all had, had like a year of slogging through really hard conversations coming to some. And then I came in and said, okay, now what are we going to do with all of this? And the fun part. So thanks for <laughs> letting me well, kind of you helped us though, because you helped us with consensus decision-making and that really helped us because we didn't really have that clearly defined. And so, or who was responsible for that 
consensus. And so um, we formed our three teams that we have now, which is a serve and sustain team. And that, and so it's seven people making decisions that are big picture decisions together. And I love that. And that anybody, there's always, you can serve on that if you want to, here's some things that you have to. And then we have a community life team that has all aspects of refuge community life. And that formed, you know, in 2017, and all the way. And in five years, what's happened with that? And then we have an advisory team now. And that was really helpful to have this group of people that don't come regularly, but can offer wisdom. Mm-hmm. And so that just like that evolution, so many things evolved in our wider work too. Well, and I think that's like what happens in a lot of ways in our lives is that we often, it's really clear what we don't want, <laughs> but it's yeah. harder to figure out what we want. And I think the thinking about the beginning of the refuge story, it's like, there were some things that you knew you wanted, but it was mostly like, we don't want this. (laughs) We don't want a system where people aren't welcome. We don't want a space where, you know, certain voices don't matter. We don't want this, this power garbage, you know, we don't want this. And so then figuring that out is important. And then stumbling into over time, like, this is really who we are. This is really what we want. And these are the rhythms that we want to help guide who we become. And I think those those things still are guiding us into all these different branches. And um, the refuge has so many different branches. And we have our community life um, team meeting once every quarter. Yeah. About, yeah. And that's like all the different pieces of the refuge. And we just had it um, about a month ago. And um it was just so beautiful. I don't know if I want to talk about like, but there are just so many things we're doing. <laughs> like we were writing all the different, all the different like branches of the refuge that it, and it was just like the, the whiteboard was full and overflowing. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's just a testament to like that deep rootedness of just persevering over years and years and like the fruit that's coming now of like, we've got single moms unite. We have uh, refuge reads we have the cafe we have house of refuge I mean there's just I mean that's like four out of like how many 25 things that are happening in our community on a weekly or monthly basis and yeah and it's what's so beautiful is like really that shift in 2017 the 16 to 17 transition of really getting um, becoming a community that gathered around shared values um, and those shared values of, you know, I always say them, they're important to say of presence and of gate engagement, transformation, and welcome and creativity and celebration. That when that shifted, like it really did open up. And at that community life team meeting, that felt so holy to me because people said, well, new people said, this helps me so much because yeah. I only see the refuge cafe. Or I only see refuge reads, or I only see these different parts. Um, the refuge rainbow joining in on the refuge community live, which is um, queer social and support, and um, really for all the letters of the alphabet. And that beautiful thing that happens when new people come and bring things that they're meant to bring. And then have a space at the table to live those things out. So when I look at refuge community life now, like the long list, a few of those things were at the very beginning. Um, and they were really early on. We had recovery and um, we had advocates pretty early on. But really most everything just it kept coming as new people came 
and said that this is what they're called to do. I wanted to and have a space to do because actually a lot of people have wanted to do some of these things before and just didn't have a place um, for different reasons because of hierarchical systems that just didn't allow um, enough permeable and fluid movement in. And so all everything is like has been an experiment and um, that piece has been really fun to see it evolve. And then I am now like the building has become really special but we're not beholden to that building. We actually are beholden to the things that happen within the facility and out a lot happens not in that facility. And so, but we, what we are beholden to is to living this out together. Yeah. And I think that explains well, our kind of most recent shift a year ago in language around us being a hub. And really that's what the refuge is. It's a hub for healing community, social action, and creative collaboration. That's the first time I've done that. <laughs> nice, nice work. <laughs> How many times a week do you say that? <laughs> so many. So many times. But yeah, this idea that we are a hub. And so there's all these different aspects of our community that are hubbed out of um, this core. And it's not the building. It's this core group of people that say yes to each other, to community, to life, and to dreaming for something better in the world. Yes. And, you know, just one thing I want to add about that, you know, we were chartered as a church, then we were a mission center and Christian community when we moved into the facility. And then we did that redream and we put Christian community and mission center for um, Christian community and then mission center. And then we found we were having to explain it all the time. We were having to say, well, here's what we mean by this. And there's a room for all. And then mission center, so many hard things emerged in the world more, more about hard things that um, had happened in the name of Jesus that we didn't want to have to explain. And so, um, but they worked for those seasons and almost everything for different reasons worked for the seasons, but we were always and continue to be willing to go if it doesn't. And, but together, not one or two people, but together let's try and make a shift. And when we made this decision to change into the Hub for Healing Community transition in, our services day teams uh, kind of processed at first. And then we went to the community life team and got input and helped flesh it out. And then we ran it by our advisory team. And that part feels so good and so healthy. And, um, And it's always so messy and so slow. And it's a lot of different um, people to hear voices from, but it's totally worth it. Woo. There we go. The, (laughs) the long view. That was good. (laughs) Yeah. With so many details that are missed out. And I just want to say this, be a refuge is about fleshing out some of those things over time. And we're going to dive in and hear from different people other than just Joe and I. And so, um, you know, just know that we know there's so many gaps. Um, but, uh, that's, that's part of laying some tracks and hopefully that gives you a little bit of sense of the wild and eclectic. <laughs> so we end every episode with just like something that you're going to take with you from this conversation. So just real quick, something that's going to linger from what we talked about today. Um, I'm just excited that I got the tagline, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. You should be. It's hard when you're not used to saying it. I do yeah. tours a lot of times. So I'm used to it. Um, I think, for me, I think it's just 
the resilience of the refuge. Yeah. The resilience and the commitment to continue to evolve. And mm -hmm. I'm grateful for that. Awesome. Well, we'll see you next time. All right. Be a refuge. Be a refuge. Thanks for listening to Be a Refuge. For more on The Refuge, go to therefugeonline.org and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. May we all keep finding ways to be a refuge for others and embody healing in this wild world. <laughs>